With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Nation podcast, HawkeyeNation.com. Andrew Downs and Rob Howe back with you once again. Rob, what's up, man? How you doing? 11.30-ish, and I'm still drinking coffee. So, yeah, it's Monday. <laughs> it is Monday. You know, that's one thing I felt is, is you know, the, the days of the week don't feel the same. It's funny, my son, who hasn't been to school since March, he every day is kind of like, oh, like yesterday morning, he was like, when, when do you have to go to work today, Daddy? And I was like, oh, it's Sunday, buddy. You don't, we don't have to go to work. Uh, so, but, but Mondays still have the Monday feel, I've found. Yeah, and I wake up and I, I mean, I, I'm like this most of the time, even in normal times, quote unquote normal. Uh, but I wake up a lot and I'm like, what the heck day is it? What what day? And now it's just even magnified with, with what this year's been like. But we made it to August, man. Yes, so we I did. Think we should all kind of take a bow. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and then you know, if you want our thoughts on the Hush Blackwell investigation, the 28 page report that we got last Thursday, or the press conference that Gary Barter and Kirk Ferentz held. Uh, uh, also last Thursday afternoon and kind of everything uh, surrounding that. Uh, Rob and I did almost an hour-long podcast on Friday, which should be in your feeds or on HawkeyeNation.com. So if you want to go back and, and listen to that, please do. Uh, we're not really going to touch much on that uh, today because we did an hour on it on Friday. And uh, I'm sure you know it's it's not a thing that we'll forget about or that we won't talk about, obviously, as, as football season begins and as we learn more about it. But uh, for now, we've kind of put that to bed. And, uh, and we've got some fun things to talk about. So we're going to have kind of a fun podcast here. The first one that's going to be, well... I shouldn't say all fun because, you know, the Iowa basketball program is currently shut down due to COVID-19, but it'll be, I think it'll be the, the lightest podcast we've done in a while here, Rob. Yeah. And we had several of the guys that were on, uh, the zoom, um, the Zoom press conference with, with, with Luca Garza announcing that he was coming back um, yesterday. And even though they're in quarantine, they seem to be doing well health-wise, at least the guys that were on there. We don't know who. Fran did did announce that a third player got it. So there's, mm. there were originally two, but now there are three players. Uh, members of the men's basketball team that have COVID, but I don't think there's anything serious just in terms of symptoms or anybody hospitalized or anything like that. So we'll kind of just see Josh Agundale, uh, the big, the freshman big man from London landed in, in Cedar Rapids yesterday. Oh, he's been trying all summer to get over here. He's finally here. He's going to have to quarantine for 14 days now, but he should be available when workouts start. Uh, CJ Frederick said, you know, he's, he's out of a cast, uh, 
off the crutches. That kid is amazing in terms of recovery <laughs> yes, time. He, but <laughs> he plans to be back, hopefully in September, back full. Uh, Jack Nungy's coming off ACL, said yesterday that he is close to going full speed. He's pre- said he's probably within a couple weeks. So, yeah, a really, really positive uh, you know, positive news surrounding Iowa basketball, obviously with Luca Garza, which we'll go into to here. But just have to keep the fingers crossed, man. Wear masks if yes. you want this season, please, because this season could be special. Rick Brown wrote about it today. Just kind of historically, Iowa's had six teams start the season in the AP top ten. This team's almost guaranteed. So you're talking about the seventh team in the history of the program to start the season in the top ten of the AP poll. Um, do I, I would think as a fan, you would want to do everything you can to make sure you get to see uh, how that season would play out. There's no question about it. I, I've it's been a common, a common refrain for me here over the last few uh, couple of months, few months at this point, uh, where I love college football and I love Hawkeye football, and I really hope they get to play and uh, and I hope they get to play as many games as possible. And I, I really they have a team that I'm excited to see, and we'll get into that later in the podcast. But I would. As hard as this is to say, I would forego this college football season if you could promise me a full college basketball season because I'm I'm more excited about this team than I have been probably my entire life. And as you said, if, if people haven't read that Rick Brown column, which places uh, kind of the expectations and, and this ranking or, or you know proposed ranking, what where we think they'll be ranked in a historical context, this is somewhere that Iowa fans just haven't been very often in program history, and and certainly. Uh, I mean, I have not seen in my lifetime a Final Four. I haven't seen a Big Ten championship, uh, regular season championship. These are things that are on the table now that just aren't on the table very often, and who knows when they'll be on the table again. So, uh, yes, as you said, wear a mask, do whatever you can to make this thing happen. And obviously, I think, the, there's, yeah, uh, go ahead. I think there's a really good chance that it's going to be the highest-ranked preseason. Seventh is the highest Iowa's Ooh. ever been in the preseason AP poll. And I feel pretty confident saying yeah. this is going to be a top-six team. So you're talking about the highest preseason ranking in the history of Iowa basketball. Ooh. Wear a mask. The reason that we're so excited, <laughs> the reason they're going to be ranked so high, the reason there may be favorites to win the Big Ten is because Luca Garza is coming back. He made the announcement yesterday afternoon. Uh, Rob, you mentioned the Zoom call that you got to be a part of with him and Fran McCaffrey, some of the other players. Uh, and, you know, I was a little worried. Rob, last last week I learned for the first time, and, you know, we've talked about it several times here, the August 3rd deadline, which obviously is today. And, and Luca and Frank Garza had said they plan to make their announcement on August 2nd, which they did yesterday. Um but I wasn't aware that the NBA had pushed their deadline two weeks further. So the NBA's deadline uh, to to come to the NBA is, is August 17th. That's two weeks from today. And so theoretically, a player could say today, I'm coming back to school, but then in the next two weeks decide to go to the NBA. Now, they would then lose their eligibility and, and forego coming back, but they could still then make a professional career, make a run at, at an NBA career. So I was a little worried going into yesterday that we're going to get kind of a wishy-washy thing from Luca Garza just because, understandably so, he wants to keep his options open. And so I, I was a little worried that we were going to get, you know, hey, I'm, I'm excited if there's a season to play with these guys. Uh, you know, I, I really want to be a part of this. You know, hopefully uh, some, some stuff like that. 
what I heard yesterday, what I saw on, on his social media accounts and, and what I heard from the Zoom call and, and, and just kind of everything, he has no plans to not be a part of this team and, and kind of ride this thing out for, for better or for worse, whatever this means. He, he understands the historical context of this season. He understands his place uh, in, in Iowa basketball history right now and where that, where that could go with another great season. And in my mind, at least, Rob, he left no doubt about the fact that he plans to be an Iowa Hawkeye this season. And anything short of them canceling the college basketball season in the next two weeks, weeks, which I can't fathom happening, uh, Luca Garza is going to be an Iowa Hawkeye for at least another year. Well said, Andrew. I think that you hit on the reasons why he's coming back. How much? I I, th- I don't think you can minimize how much Coach Fran McCaffrey means to him either. I covered Luca's recruitment and. Fran was the first guy to really believe in him and kind of played a big role when Luca was still in high school in pushing him to get in better shape and work on his game. And they have a unique relationship. So I, I, I really think that that Fran played a huge role in this. And for Luca, he was asked on Sunday, you know, what would it take for you to uh, go back into the draft? And he basically said if they told him that, he'd be the first overall pick. So (laughs) if that's not definitive enough, because I I love Luca's game, but he's not going to be the number one overall pick. So, and again, Andrew, we're in uncertain times here. And, you know, as we've said many times on this podcast, the virus is in control. We don't know what next week's going to, we don't know what tomorrow's going to look like. So, he has all intentions to be back, but the landscape could change. We don't know what the we don't know what the college football season is going like, to look like, let alone the college basketball season. He and his dad and Fran have all said that he turned down pretty good money to play over in Europe to come back, and that gives you an idea of how much the, his teammates and his coaches mean to him at Iowa. I think if we get some semblance of a normal season without just complete you know, um, you know, uh, catastrophe from this virus. <laughs> I, I think we see him play for Iowa this year. Fran talked a little bit about them possibly playing in a bubble. Seems like the bubble is really the way to go right now with, uh, with college sports. Obviously there's a better chance for a vaccine as we get closer to basketball season. Um, but you could conceivably, you know, I think the, the F the, the finals are early December and then, and that just from a regular standpoint, and then Iowa doesn't have classes again until, you know, middle to late January, you could take Big Ten teams, put them in a bubble somewhere and play for like, you know, five weeks, three games a week. And boom, you got 15 games played there in in a relatively safe environment. And I've heard that not only floated out by by Fran, but some other people. And maybe you extend that a little bit and maybe try to cram in even cram in even more games, or you just get to that part at the end of January, you've played in that bubble. You got 15 games under your belt. Things are looking up with the virus. There's a vaccine. And then you move forward from there. And then we get to March madness. And then Iowa makes the final four and then cuts down the nets as a national champion. And then everybody's happy. I love it. Let, I, I, I'm, <laughs> put me down for that right now. You know, that's interesting. I hadn't considered the bubble but you're exactly right and especially if 
colleges are going to go to like all online. Yeah. Uh, th- there's no reason that you could even not do that. That's and, a good point. And, and, and have I, the guys I, in, in goes class. online at Thanksgiving. Yeah. So you could theoretically do that. Yeah. Starting early December and really play, uh, as, as we said, it'd, it'd just be big 10 teams likely, but you could play three games a week. No problem. And, and why get, not put like a bubble in Chicago for the teams in our region? Yeah. And then maybe a bubble maybe in Detroit or Indianapolis or somewhere closer for those eastern you know the Maryland Rutgers Penn States of the world and the easternmost uh, schools you maybe make two maybe you can make three bubbles and go from there and then just kind of move around but you know because you got 14 teams maybe two bubbles would be good seven teams each I don't know but there's a lot of possibilities there and it certainly would seem like uh, it seems doable it does you know if they're bubbled like what the NHL is doing right now you know the NBA has everybody in one spot the NHL is using two bubbles and then at some point they will merge those for a for a finals uh, you could have like a big 10 tournament as long as ne- neither of those bubbles gets compromised you could bring those together at some point and and have everybody play each other um, oh man yeah, that- you've got the NBA in a bubble you've got NHL in the bubble you've got WNBA in a bubble and they're all doing I mean amazingly well then you've got baseball <laughs> yes exactly and baseball's man baseball's like the that, that's that's a tough thing to watch and it really kind of makes you more pessimistic about football season uh that's the hardest part because that's the most that's the most direct comparison yeah of our college football is not going to be played in a bubble you can't you can't i don't know how you could do that no you can't get that many people in one place you can't have that many fields that you would need it just it's just not feasible uh and so yeah, I like this bubble idea though. I hadn't thought about this for college basketball, and uh, you, you got me on board. I'm I'm down for this. Uh, talking about Luca Garza, likely at this point, I guess from this point on, let's assume as we talk about this that there is going to be a season, uh, whether or not it's a 30 game season, whether or not there are a bunch of non conference games, uh, you know, can be here or there. But if Luca Garza gets a good season here, likely going down as as the best player in, in Iowa basketball history. I mean. Probably averaging more than 20 points a game again. Uh, you had this in, in the column yesterday. He scored a school record 740 points last season. And remember, that was without a Big Ten tournament or an NCAA tournament. That gives him 1559 for his career, just 558 short of Roy Marble as Iowa's career scoring leader. So you think if, if he gets a good number of games here likely passing uh, Roy Marble on the all-time list, uh, probably passing a bunch of other guys on a bunch of other all-time lists. And I I guess here's a question. Does Iowa need to do something special for Luka to be the greatest Hawkeye of all time? Uh, You know, we we talked about this quite a bit with Nate Stanley, who put up some numbers that were unbelievable, uh, but just never quite had the the moment, never won the Big Ten, never won uh, a a Rose Bowl or, or something like that. Never went twelve and zero like C.J. Beathard did, and so I think uh, for a lot of fans, when they look at him historically, he doesn't quite reach that uh, elite level because even though his numbers were elite, his accomplishments maybe weren't. If Luca Garza obviously got he got the NCAA t- tournament taken away from him his junior year, who knows what would have happened there? Uh, but if if Iowa doesn't do something special, if they don't win a Big Ten or don't get to a Final Four. Uh, are numbers alone enough to put him in that echelon as, as the best Hawkeye ever? It's a great question. I think he's already cemented his legacy as an all-time great Hawkeye. But, yeah, I think, you know, we've all talked about it, you know, how long it's been, you know, 40-plus years since Iowa's won, you know, won a Big Ten championship. 
um, Final Four, you know, early 80s, 80, what was it, 80 or 81, whatever it was. I'm, my mind's mushy today. Uh, 1980, yeah. um, That's why I'm still drinking coffee. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, the team's success is going to be a big part of his legacy and then also his performance this year, the potential to be, you know, Big Ten uh, Player of the Year and back-to-back years, potential to be the National Player of the Year, school's all-time leading scorer. He's going to have a heck of a legacy no matter what the team does this year. But now with the bar set so high and the preseason expectations set so high, that's pressure on him to lead this team to, you know, to, to like you said, that special season. And if that falls short, I could see that dinging his legacy just from a, you know, a, a public perception. Um but I don't know how much. I mean, and it's so hard to know with, you know, how, how this season, you know, because college basketball is so much different. It, you know, you get to that tournament and there are weird, wacky stuff that happens. Yeah. There's upsets. There's, you know, it's all about matchups. Um, I think it's going to be an imperative. I don't think. I know. It's going to be imperative on Iowa to have a – whatever the regular season looks like, have a very strong regular season and get themselves – a very good seed because that's been the problem. Yes. You know, you don't want to have to play Gonzaga hmm. uh, in the second round in Seattle or Villanova in the second round in Brooklyn. You have to be you. You want to have one of the. You want to have a team having to play you <laughs> yeah. in the second round in Chicago or Kansas City or St. Louis or wherever the. I don't know where the regionals yeah, are this year, but you want to be. You, you want to be the hunted, not the hunter. And Iowa hasn't had that in the Fran McCaffrey era. Um, it had it, I guess, the last time was was the Northwestern State game, and yeah. that didn't work out for Iowa. But that's where you have to get. You have to get into that top three, even higher seed, and put yourself in the best possible position to, you know, the, to, to lower the probability of an upset because – you look at this team on paper, if it didn't make the Sweet 16, it's been upset. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Or or it had a a, a terrible regular season compared to what, what we expected it, it to have. Injuries, things yeah. like that. I right. mean, uh, the uncontrollable stuff. Uh, you know, because, and, and it's it's easy to sit here in August and look at this team on paper, look at what they did last year, look at what's coming back, and say, oh, yeah, they, I mean, they should be favored to win the Big Ten. And, and maybe they will be. Uh, and, well, you and, look at it, Andrew. Fran mentioned it yesterday, and he's right. They have seven starters back. <laughs> because if you look at Nunji and and Bohannon yeah. were starters last yeah. year, and um, Bohannon's been a starter his whole life, and then you've got Toussaint, Frederick, Connor McCaffrey, Joe Wieskamp, and Luca Garza. Those are all seven guys that are starters to wow. start, and, and there are a lot of teams that only play seven or eight guys. So, I mean, that's just another way to look at it and say to understand how stacked this roster it, roster. It's is. incredibly stacked. You throw in Patrick McCaffrey, who's a, right. a huge recruit that we haven't been able to see much of, and then a freshman class of, of a bunch of guys that, that we're all very high on. Um, but but they're not going to be the only good team in the Big Ten, and the Big yeah. Ten is poised to be uh, probably the best league in, in college basketball again this year. Illinois got some good news over the weekend. Wisconsin has all their guys coming back. Uh, Michigan State loses Xavier Tillman, who announced yesterday he, he's going to stay in the NBA uh, draft, but but Michigan State's always good. You, you don't look past those guys. Um, 
it's it's a stacked league, and Iowa is a stacked team. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see how they get through the gauntlet that is the Big Ten. You know, last season, uh, as the it, it got a little more physical late, and as injuries mounted a little bit, and as you know, uh, officials got a little more lenient. Maybe we saw Joe Wieskamp struggle late in the season, uh, and and that that's one of the things I think was stolen from us without the tournament was to I, I would have really liked to see Iowa get out of those Big Ten t- games, uh, get away from the Big Ten officials, get. Away away from the Big Ten physicality and see what those guys could do. Um, but th- th- that's all going to be the same again this year. So it's, it's certainly not a given that Iowa is going to uh, win or even be in the top three of the Big Ten this year, even though we can all kind of look at it on paper and say that's where they should be. Yeah, and you could also make an argument that Io DeSomo or Kofi Coburn or um, and there are other great players in the league too could end up being the, the Big Ten Player of the Year. That wouldn't be that's not an outlandish idea. No. Um, I propose that with COVID that they they make it so they can't play defenses. The teams can't play defenses close <laughs> and grab Joe Wieskamp <laughs> and do things like that that are um, dangerous <laughs> for the virus and also would help Iowa, who's not known as a a defensive juggernaut so to speak and that's really for me Andrew where this team could go from being really good to great if it can just play it can't have those games like last year where you know Michigan drops a hundy on them and you can't you got to be better defensively more consistently that's going to be the difference for this team because the offensive pot firepower yeah. is just it's obvious you've got guys that can spread the floor I mean Bohannon Frederick Wieskamp Garza on the inside uh Toussaint breaking you know breaking down defenses um I think Nunji was really starting to show uh, some ability last year. I think offensively they're going to be just unbelievable, but can they play consistent defense? You know, obviously Garza coming back, uh, it'll be fun to watch Bohannon and, and how, how he plays uh, with you know, pain-free for the first time in years. Uh, Wieskamp coming off, uh, as, as I said, a kind of a rough second half of the season last year. Uh, is, does, does he get himself back right? Toussaint with another year of development. I mean, what we saw him, the, the amount we saw him grow during the Big Ten season last year, I, th- I thought was incredible. Uh, Patrick McCaffrey and all the freshmen, but you, you hit on Nunji leading up to last basketball season I feel like we forget this sometimes because it was so long ago and so much has happened since then but leading into that season and I don't think it was just it was just you know uh, words that that Fran McCaffrey and the other guys were saying. I mean, Jack Nunji was the guy that everybody was talking up. They were saying he's the guy who's made the biggest leap. He's the guy who's been in the weight room and been in the gym and and really kind of changed his body and changed his game. And and he was the guy going into last year, not Luca Garza, that everybody was like, this guy's going to make a big jump. Now, I don't think the jump for him was going to be Big Ten Player of the Year. And obviously, Garza made that jump, but. A year ago, we were all talking about Jack Nunji is is a different player, and so to see him now uh, with another year under his belt, obviously the the ACL and, and all that, but I, I'm really excited to see a fully healthy Jack Nunji as part of this team. Uh, I, I think he's a guy that maybe doesn't get enough talk uh, because we haven't seen him in a couple of years, and because he's surrounded by so much talent. But he could he could come in and uh, you think about like the the position that Ryan Creener had last year, and Jack Nunji uh, should be better than that. Uh, so so he could be a, a huge asset to this team. 
I agree, Andrew. You know, 6'11", 7-foot stretch four, guy that can face up or play on the block. I think, and I really like Ryan Creener's game, and I thought he was just kind of a hard-nosed lunch pail guy and just kind of brought that attitude. And I think that's where Jack has to get to. He needs to have more of that dog in him. Um, But I think he complements Luka better. I I, I just think he's a better complement to Luka overall. Um, than maybe Creener was. It would it would have been great to have all three of them last year, uh, but I think the ceiling for Jack Nungy is a little bit higher than Ryan Creener, and I love Ryan Creener's game. This is not a knock on him at all. I just think Nungy has a really, really high ceiling, um, and I think he can take some pressure off of Luka as well. It'll be interesting to see what type of um, what t- type of rotation and what type of uh, you know player combinations Fran goes with. I think he has the ability with this roster and the versatility to give teams a lot of different looks and to match up with opponents however they roll their, you know, their lineup out there. And, you know, because you looked at it last year, Connor McCaffrey, Connor McCaffrey played a decent amount of like three, four, and he's more of a point guard, but he has that ability to go and play the four if you want to go small. Um, so they, Fran's really got a, a roster that's versatile enough uh, to, to play a lot of, give teams a lot of different looks. It'll be interesting to see. They are a little bit light if you're talking about true posts. Um, you've got, basically, you've got Garza, Nanji, and then Joshua Gundele, who's a true freshman. It's just kind of hard to know what you're going to get from him. So I think we're going to see some smaller lineups this year. And uh, I kind of like how that looked at times last year. It just seemed like they were the ball movement was better. Um, you know, and they, they, they were a little bit, had a little, had more weapons on the floor at once. Yeah. Connor in that four spot, uh, he, he was so good last year. I think he led the country in assist to turnover ratio to kind of play the middle of that floor, have the basketball IQ that he does and, and kind of dish it out and, and run that offense uh, from the four position uh, was incredible. And so I, I guess as we look at a, a potential starting five, Rob, my, I would say, Bohannon as point guard, Frederick at the two, Wieskamp at the three. I put Connor at the four and, and Luke at the five. Uh, and then obviously you have Toussaint, Nunzi, McCaffrey, and, and the five freshmen coming in. Um, well, is, is that the starting five you would you would put out there? It's a great question because, um, like we're saying right now, like uh, we're kind of walking through this. I mean, you could you could make a case for Nunji at the four. Yeah. Um, Connor at point guard. You know, and go with that. And, and I mean, to make a case that Tucson earned his spot last year, didn't he? I mean, yeah. I mean, Tucson is clearly, I don't think it's even a, uh, a question, clearly your best penetrator yeah. and clearly your best on ball defender. And we talked about defense. Tucson gives you a defender at the top of your defense that is really helpful, especially when you don't have any true shot blocker. I think Nunji can be a good shot blocker, and I think Luca got better at that. But you kind of, in basketball, you like that combination of of on ball defend defense along with having somebody in the back that can can uh, protect the rim but there's just a lot of ways to go here and it's going to be interesting to see um it's going to be interesting to see how he yeah because do you leave bohannon out of the starting lineup a guy who started for three years and and start either connor or or toussaint I, i i i think 
I, I, and this isn't, you know, people are going to do what they want to do, but I wouldn't be, I wouldn't go overboard or freak out based on what the starting lineup is. Cause I think they're going to play a deep roster and I think they're going to spread the minutes out. And I think they're going to try to maybe lower Luca's minutes a little bit. So he's, there's just not so much on him. And if they go to that bubble situation that we talked about, Andrew, where they're playing three games in a week, that's even better, yeah. more beneficial to Iowa because you have you know a deeper team and you can spread those minutes out a little bit more. One of the fair criticisms of Fran McCaffrey over the past years, and then certainly over the like more more recently, uh, has been he's had too much talent. There's been too many guys. His bench has been too deep, and, and his rotations have been too too deep. Um, he, that, that was all taken away from him last year with, with the injury situations, and he kind of had to play the guys he had, and it worked out very well. Uh, are you worried that there's too much talent? I mean, you and I just talked for five minutes about all the different rotations there could be in different starting lineups, and I don't know what I would do in his position. Uh, is, is that maybe the... It's hard to say. The it's like it's like when you get asked at a job interview, what's your biggest weakness, and you say, "Well, I'm too honest," or you know, "I I, I like work yeah. too much." It's hard to say the, <laughs> the biggest weakness of, of Iowa's basketball program right now is they have too much talent. But that has been an issue uh, with with Fran in the past. Uh, are, are you worried at all about that? I'm not, and I'll tell you why. Because we've seen you just mentioned it, how injuries can impact a team and the, the depth that Iowa had last year allowed it to compete, even though it had some, you know, some major injuries. You're talking about Patrick McCaffrey, Jack Nungy and Jordan Bohannon, who were both for the most part, not even available last year. And it was still a team that was, you know, in the top part of the big 10. So you look at Bohannon, who's had injury issues. You just you never know. C.J. Frederick is is a kid that you know early on in his career has dealt with a lot of injuries. Uh, you had Nunji that's had injuries. You don't know what's going to happen with Patrick McCaffrey. We hope for the best. We hope that you know what his training and the medication he has to be on for the thyroid cancer that he he beat. You know they they come up with the right cocktail, so to speak, to keep him on the floor. Uh, but I don't I don't worry about that. I think you're probably what eight eight deep with that group, and then you just work in whichever freshman you think are, are you know can help you, um, and then you redshirt the rest. Yeah. So I, I kind of like that they have this kind of depth, especially Andrew. And, and I know it's you know what what if a couple guys get you know get the virus during the season? You yeah. know what if something like that happens? Yeah. You, you want to have that extra depth. Uh, you, you mentioned something a couple of minutes ago when, when talking about Jack Nungy and you know maybe he can get some attitude, maybe he can you know kind of be that dog. And, and it made me think for a second. Okay, who is that dog? You know, with Cordell Pemsel gone, uh, who, who's kind of that guy? And then I started to look at, at my projected starting five, and man, there's a lot of attitude on this team. You know, and it, uh, you got four guys I think in, in the five that I mentioned: in Bohannon, Frederick, Connor, and Garza. I think Wieskamp's maybe a little more timid, and not in a bad way, but just his personality. Um, I think you could throw Tucson in there too he's got a yeah you're right he's got a bit of an edge to you him. got some guys who aren't going to back down from from a from a fight <laughs> they're not going to they'll be talking out there they're not going to back down from anybody so there is a lot of attitude on this team uh, I saw somebody some Iowa State fan tweeted yesterday that he's looking forward to Xavier Foster guarding Luca Garza because <laughs> there was that. some smack talk going on yesterday between Iowa and Iowa State yeah. on on uh, Iowa State and uh, Iowa Twitter last night and Connor McCaffrey ret- retweeted it and said I'm looking forward to it too so 
Hopefully, the, hopefully Iowa and Iowa State get to play. I oh, yeah, we, we need that Hopefully we don't lose that part of the Cyhawk. Oh, I, I hope not as well. Uh, so I guess uh, kind of putting a bow on this conversation before we move into football, Rob. Uh, you were on that Zoom call yesterday. Was there anything else that, that Fran or, or the players or Luca Garza himself had to say that, that we haven't touched on here that you think is important to get in? Um, not that I could think of just this unusual time, Andrew, yeah. where they're trying to get through this, you know, the, the layoff that was brought on by the COVID cases and just, I, I think the uncertainty for these guys and the anxiety that this brings on is, is part of the equation that we can't really quantify right now. And I think I, I noticed it with the last football press conference when the players were there, they, they want to be optimistic and they really, you know, they have such a short window for college sports, yeah. you know, five years, four years to play five or, or five years to play four. And um, I, I guess we just don't know how mentally they're getting through this time. I mean, you're talking about they were going through workouts and then boom, 14 days of being separated, um, you know, and, and hopefully that doesn't happen to them again. Uh, it's just the uncertainty, I think, is just the, the you know, the, the wild card here. We just don't know how this is going to play out. We I think we all hope for the best, but we're not really invested the way these players are and i kind of get that sense from talking to football and basketball players that there's just that in that in their mind that they're they're convincing themselves that for the best and it's a great approach but there's also that doubt in their mind please let there be a college basketball i know (laughs) i know we need it i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, Rob, uh, let's move on to football here. And, and you had a couple of pieces uh, on HawkeyeNation.com in the, the last couple of weeks um, that, that I want to get to. I guess, first of all, uh, I, I saw you tweet something about this. You, you talked about how Josh Agundale uh, has has made it to the States and made it to Cedar Rapids and uh, will be a part of this team. Uh, any update on, on this Australian punter that we're kind of waiting on? No, I, I tweeted out yesterday something from the city of Melbourne. That's the first time I've ever retweeted the city of Melbourne, <laughs> Australia. Um, I, I don't know when the next time will be, but they've had they, they're getting hit pretty hard over there, and they've gone basically uh, to a lockdown. So it's going to be hard for Tory Taylor to make it here if there is a you know by the start of the football season, if it's the beginning of September. Um, you know he's having visa issues. Uh, it's just it, it's it's just not looking good at this point. So uh, again, you just hope for the best for this guy. He's trying to get here for his freshman season uh, for Iowa football. But as I've written, he's just in a holding pattern. Again, as we've talked about before, Andrew, and I know sometimes people hate to hear this. <laughs> The virus is driving this bus. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Well, again, uh, let's let's push that out of our minds and assume that we will have a college football season. Uh, how many games or who they'll play, uh, we're not sure yet. Hopefully, we'll get some more information on that this week. I think we will as, as other conferences are starting to make that stuff uh, more available and, and uh, get into the time where these decisions just need to be made. But let's assume Iowa has a football season. You projected the depth chart on HawkeyeNation.com last week, and uh, I just kind of want to run through that fairly quickly. Uh, um, 
and and talk about some of these guys and and get you know get a little excited for football here uh, as yeah. as we're sitting in in August now. Uh, obviously, at quarterback, we all think that Spencer Petrus is is the guy. Uh, he's he's been kind of groomed for this, and uh, he's a Grateful Dead fan. Have you seen that on social media? <laughs> I have seen that. He's a uh, he's got he's got that facial hair. He's, he looks a little CJ Frederick or CJ uh, <laughs> Bethardy. Um, it's 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 kind of exciting to see him out there. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. He's got that north. He's from that kind of that northern California area where you know a lot of deadheads reside, and uh, <laughs> it's just interesting. I, I, I I'm going to say it's fair to say that he's the first deadhead quarterback of the Kirk Ferentz era. I think you're probably right. See, change, change is happening all over the place. Uh, so, so Petrus is the starter. You have Alex Padilla as the backup, the redshirt freshman, uh, and and probably Deuce Hogan, you know, fighting for that position. But um, you think likely redshirt for for Hogan. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if Hogan ends up being the backup, kind of like Nate Stanley was, but just the way uh, Nate Stanley was when he was a true freshman. But just kind of, it doesn't make any sense to me if, you, if you're planning on playing Petrus as your starter. Um, maybe you let Hogan get in there a little bit during the, and who knows? Is it going to be a four game red shirt roll this year? Do they loosen that because of the virus? Do they condense it because the, the amount of games that are going to be played? That's another, just another layer to this story. But, um, I, I, I think you want to put another year between Petrus and Hogan and uh, redshirting him makes the most sense. And uh, the, I always really liked what they've seen from Alex Padilla. Don't forget Alex Padilla had a, had a scholarship offer from Georgia. It's not, mm. I think people are trying to, uh, you know, look at the hierarchy that it's Petrus, Hogan, Padilla, but I, I wouldn't assume that at this point, and at least for this season, it makes a lot of sense for Padilla to be the backup. You understand though, a name like Deuce Hogan and, and his yeah. Social media presence—you <laughs> you understand why why Hawkeye fans are excited to you know, take, move him up the depth chart. I was in a really good place for for at the quarterback position, Andrew. And you think about the guys that have transferred out of the program from that position—they're in a pretty good spot because it's just anymore in college football. It's it's a revolving door at quarterback. A lot of gra- guys that you know after three years they'll graduate transfer. There's just a lot of turnover at that position in college football these days with the transfer portal. I was in pretty good shape this year. No doubt. Moving to running back, uh, you know, three-headed monster is probably is probably too much to say about this uh, because Tyler Goodson certainly uh, rose above the pack last year, late in the season. Uh, so he's he's certainly the go-to guy. But Makai Sargent and Ivory Kelly Martin uh, are, are obviously guys with a, a lot of uh, snaps under their belt, a, a lot of experience, and and both very good running backs. So I think I think you have Goodson as the starter, backup Sargent, and then Ivory Kelly Martin is in that third spot. But uh, I'd imagine that we'll see uh, maybe even between Kelly Martin and and Sargent with Goodson getting the the majority of the snaps? It's interesting, Andrew, because I'm not sure that – it's going to be interesting to see what type of jump Goodson can make. I I don't know how many a a carry-a-game guy he is. Mm. Is he a – is he a 12 to 15 guy? Is he a 20 guy? Um, That's going to determine what the guys behind him get. Um, I think – uh, Kelly Martin is a little bit more explosive and versatile. He's a really good receiver, um, and that's not to take anything away from Makai. Makai's more of a steady. You know what you're going to get from him. He's really good between the tackles. It's a good. It's a good threesome because I think they really complement each other well. 
Going to fullback, obviously, uh, you, you got big shoes to fill with Brady Ross. Uh, yeah. Brady Ross le- going out of there, so you've got the starter um, as is it Monty Pottybaum, uh, yes. and then Turner Palisard as as the backup there. But pr- both redshirt sophomores, probably I- either one of those guys at this point could could make their themselves the starter. I think we're going to see a timeshare there, and we've seen that before. Uh, you know, Drake Kulik and Brady Ross split time, and then you had Adam Cox and uh, Macon Plewa you know, split time. I think they like to to uh, share that position because it's just such a physical position. And I think when you look at Monty Potabom and Turner Palisard, you've got two really good fullback names. Yeah, no doubt, absolutely. And, and I, I was, yeah, we, we got a, we got the all name team, that's for sure. Uh, you, you talk in your fearless predictions, which we're going to get to next, uh, that you think they're could be an eight-person rotation on the offensive line. So let me run through your your five starters here uh, that, that you have. Uh, Larry Jackson, obviously, at left tackle. Mark Kallenberger at left guard. Linderbaum at center. I think he's solidified there. Uh, Cole Banward at right guard. And then Koi Kronk, the, the Indiana transfer, um, at right tackle. But you think some other guys are going to be able to work their way in there. It's, it's a strong offensive line, I think. Yeah, it's a really they have really good depth there. I think if you look at Alaric Jackson and Tyler Linderbaum, those are the guys that are locked in and are probably going to play if not all the vast majority of the snaps at their respective positions, left tackle for Jackson, obviously, and Linderbaum at center. After that, you've got some movement. I could see Kallenberger starting at right tackle and Kronk moving inside. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you look at Banwart and Shot. Banwart, when he's been healthy, he started the last two years. Every game that he's been healthy, he started. Mm-hmm. And then Kyler Shot came on last year. So you could certainly see a rotation there. Justin Britt was a guy that they thought about taking the red shirt off last year. Um, and uh, I, I think you have to get him time this year. And Cody Ince is another guy they're really high on. Jack Plum may be a year away, uh, but he's definitely in that mix at tackle. Um so, yeah, I, there's really good depth there. And there's guys behind these guys. Uh, but, you know, you talk about Koi Kronk. I think he's got 40 starts at left tackle in the Big Ten when he was at Indiana. Wow. Alaric Jackson has 32 starts at left tackle uh, at Iowa. 72 starts between those two guys at left tackle uh, in the Big Ten. That's, uh, that's a good place to start. And then you have Tyler Linderbaum, who's probably uh, um, on that offensive line, might be the best NFL draft prospect. It's good to have in front of a uh, a young quarterback who who doesn't have much experience. It's nice to have that kind of an offensive line in front of him. Looking over then to tight end and and maybe the next big Hawkeye tight end. Maybe maybe you know the the next in this line uh, that that Iowa has been able to put together. Sam Laporte, the true sophomore who really uh, broke out in you know in last season as a freshman, and then you got Sean Byer as the uh, the backup there. Yeah, and I think. Um... I, I think that's a really good twosome. And then after that, you're, you're looking at that third guy because Iowa, obviously, yeah. uh, you guys that are listening know Iowa likes to use, you know, three, four tight ends uh, if it can. So, you know, jo- Josiah Myaman, who will be a redshirt freshman, and then incoming freshman Elijah Yelverton and Luke Lachey uh, will probably battle for those three, four spots after that. Sean Byer, I think, is an interesting case because he had some moments last year where he was he looked really good. I, I think if he could take that – We've seen guys, those fifth-year seniors in the Iowa program, really take it to that next level. I think he's got an opportunity to do that. And then, obviously, as you said, Andrew, Sam Laporta 
man, the last half of last season, he really just came out like, you know, just like shot out of a cannon good. So, you know, he's on the Mackey award list as a true sophomore already. So really the ceiling is super high there. Then at wide receiver, man, the maybe the, the deepest and most talented group of wide receivers Kirk Ferentz has ever had. Obviously, Amir Smith-Marset, uh, who just really broke out, especially those final two games last season. But uh, we, we've seen him do these things for a while now. Brandon Smith, uh, who's just awesome. Nico Regani, you have as, as the third starter. But Tyrone Tracy will certainly get his reps. And uh, it's funny because I, I read this name as the backup. And a year ago, he was the hot name. It was the name everybody was talking about, Oliver Martin. And then he had that touchdown in the first game and, and then kind of disappeared. And we didn't see him much. And, and over and over, they said it wasn't because of personality or work ethic or anything like that. It was because the guys in front of him were better than him. The depth at this position right now at Iowa is something we haven't seen maybe ever. Um, but you've got Oliver Martin as a backup, and then obviously Max Cooper uh, there as well. But man, this this wide receiver group, uh, if, if you're you know, Petrus or Padilla or Deuce Hogan, you're looking at this and, and your mouth is watering. Yeah, I think it's, it's, uh, it's fair to say potentially – uh, the best receiver core in the Kirk Ferentz era. And I, I know people are probably rolling their eyes now and chuckling saying, oh, yeah, well, Iowa wide receivers. Because <laughs> yeah. we heard for so many years what's wrong with the Iowa wide receivers. Well, it's one of the strongest, if not the strongest position group on the team right now. And that's that's a credit to you know these young guys and also a credit to Kelton Copeland, who's done a really good job of uh, – of molding this group into a strength on this team. And uh, it's nice to have that depth because it's a position where certainly you can sustain injuries. Um, you're right. I, I mean, I have Tyrone Tracy as the, the fourth guy, but he's really – I, I think it's Amir Smith-Marset, Brandon Smith, and then Nico and Regani and Tyrone Tracy are, are three. Three yeah. A, three B. I mean, yeah. they're going to both play. I mean, Regani led the team in receptions last year. Smith Marset led the team in yards receiving and touchdowns receiving. Um, but you have versatility here. You've got, you know, I, I think an interesting aspect of this, and we saw it at times during you know November and then in the bowl game, the ability to get these the ball, you know, to these guys in space, whether it be you know on reverse, uh, jet sweep. Uh, just you know, dump off passes. There's just a there's there's a an ability at wide receiver now to do damage when they have the ball in their hands, no matter where it is on the field. Um, and that's uh, like you said, that's got to be exciting not only to offensive coordinator Brian Ferentz, but the quarterbacks that are going to be playing with this group. Moving to the other side of the ball as we look at Iowa's projected depth chart, projected by Rob Howe, we should say, here at HawkeyeNation.com. Uh, the defensive line is a place where Iowa see, seems to use rotation a lot. Uh, you, you've got as the starters Chauncey Golston, Davion Nixon, who I know you're very high on, Jack Heflin, the the incoming uh, transfer from Illinois, uh, Northern Illinois, and then Logan Lee at the right end. Obviously, you're ch- trying to replace a Jay Epinesa's uh, production, uh, but this is a good group with with some you know other other good guys behind them. Jack Wagner, Noah Shannon, Austin Schulte, and Zach Van Valkenburg. Uh, th- this looks like a, a good a good group on the defensive line. Yeah, for you know what it lacks for in experience, I think it makes up for in potential. And obviously, Jack Heflin's addition was huge. Yes, um, you know you got a guy for you know Pro Football Focus ranked him really high last year nationally among defensive tackles and you pair him with the athletic Davion Nixon who I think could be the breakout player on this defense Golston's been solid now uh, for for two years and was a starter last year 
Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, you're replacing A.J. Epinesa. It's the, the question for me with this defensive line is the pass rush, getting to the quarterback. We just don't know how good this defensive line is going to be at that. Um, you know, I think Golston so far has been, been you know, a really good balanced defensive end, really good at setting the edge and, and uh, you know, getting free to the quarterback when he can. But they may have to – it may be guys on the interior of this defensive line where the pressure comes from on the quarterback. And if that happens, fine. You let the defensive end set the edge more and push from up the middle. Um, but that's my one question with this defensive – I think the talents there is just going to be can it get a consistent pass rush in a you know in a, in a day and age in college football where teams are just throwing the ball all over the place. Moving back to linebacker, you've got Nick Neiman in the middle uh, with Jimon Colbert on the weak side and Leo uh, is Barrington Wade. Uh, and, and again, you, you've moved Neiman to the middle uh, with the decreased use of the Leo in, in Iowa's defensive scheme, and, and in the cast you've got Kayvon Merriweather. Yeah, and I think there's the, the competition back through. You know, the second and third levels of this defense are going to be it's going to be intense during camp and maybe go into the season as well, because you've got some really talented young guys that are going to push some of the veterans. Um, I think Nick Neiman makes a lot of sense with how Iowa's defense has kind of morphed into a more. Uh, you know, using the cash and having mm-hmm. a little bit more athleticism at that linebacker spot, particularly in the middle, like we saw with Christian Welch last year. Guys that maybe um, aren't as um, – it's not as weighted heavily uh, against the run. You, you got guys that can run a little bit more in space and cover. And obviously Nick Neiman is uh, a Leo by trade but you know at the point now where he's a fifth year senior senior he's bulked up enough I think that he can be really good and run uh in the middle of that defense but also still run uh you know with 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 backs receivers tight ends you don't want him to run with receivers too often but backs and tight ends and, and kind of help in the pass defensive end as well um but uh, uh yeah it'll be and it'll be interesting to see it seemed like last year we saw a lot of uh, 4-3 through the first half of the season and then more of the cash position in the second half of the season. It's just, it's unknown how we'll see that, that break down moving forward. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, if, if Iowa isn't tight end you, it may maybe D-back you. And uh, looking at the D-back, the defensive backfield, you've got Matt Hankins and Riley Moss starting at the corners with uh, Terry Roberts and Julius Brents backing them up. Jack Kerner at the free safety, Dane Belton at the strong safety. Uh, and it's going to be interesting, you know, they, they seem to have a lot of young talent talent there as well and as you said with the the linebackers some young guys are going to be pushing the veterans and uh and and really trying to get some playing time good depth at at corner i know they'll miss michael ojamudia andrew but um you know moss and brents have you know for guys that haven't started really in their careers they have some decent experience terry roberts has been used a decent amount um in nickel and dime situations. Matt Hankins is pretty established at this point. Um, I think they have some nice depth there that allow them to do some different things in coverage. Uh, hopefully Jack is Jack Kerner's back from the, you know, the, the watercraft incident that he had over, over uh, Memorial day weekend. Uh, it sounds like he's making good progress and he's back with the team and working. So he, I thought he got a lot better as the season went on last year. So maybe he takes that next step at a, at a super important position of free safety um and then dame belton i could see him at the cash or uh at, at strong safety and i i think i could 
say the same about Kayvon Merriweather. I'm interested to see how Phil Parker puts the pieces of the puzzle together back there because he's got some really guys that are versatile enough to move around in some different spots. Then for specialists, obviously the kicker, the best kicker in the country, Keith Duncan. Uh, he he is back and, and ready to break some more records. Um, Ryan Grisandi is a punter. Uh, you got uh, Amir Smith-Marset obviously is the kick returner and then he did some damage in that late in the season. And then you've got Max Cooper and Nico Regani uh, as the the two guys looking at punt returning. Yeah, and we could see some young guys maybe end up in those spots. Yeah. I mean, uh, McKinney is a guy that really intrigues me. Um, he was a really good punt returner and kick returner in high school, and he's really, really good with the ball in space. And if, if the coaches trust him, I, I, he's a guy that could be really electric in the return game. Uh, I went with Gersani just because of what we talked about earlier. I don't know if Tory Taylor is going to make it yeah. here by the time the season starts, and I think he would have been obviously uh, right in the competition for that spot. Um, Caleb Shudik may be one of the better backup kickers in mm. the country. It's a kid that went into the transfer portal and had a lot of interest, uh, and Iowa gave him a scholarship to come back uh, to work, you know, to to handle kickoff duties to and have Keith Duncan kicking field goals. But uh, they, they're they're in really good shape at that kicker spot. Punter is an unknown. We've seen how that can be damaging too to Iowa football uh, when the punter's inconsistent. So that's obviously something to keep an eye on. Rob, we're pushing 50 minutes on this podcast, which is usually when we start to wrap it up. But, man, I'm having too much fun uh, talking <laughs> sports and talking football. So I, I do want to get to your fearless predictions. You put out a column last week, your fearless predictions for the Iowa football season. Again, we are, we're just going to go ahead and assume that there's going to be a football season and, and that they're going to play as many games as they possibly can. And, uh, so I'm, I'm plowing just, ahead until t- somebody tells me <laughs> That's not exactly to right. So I'm just going to kind of read the, the, the headline that you give here for your predictions and, uh, and let you kind of tell us why you think this is going to happen. Uh, here we go. Spencer Petrus will complete at least 63% of his passes. That would be a good number for a, uh, a first-year starter. Yeah, and, and, and just to put that in perspective, Nate Stanley completed 59.4 last year, and, mm-hmm. and accuracy was not Nate's strength. No. He, he was kind of a, uh, a streaky quarterback where he'd get in a groove and, and hit everything and then have times where he just couldn't hit the target. But I think Spencer Petrus, from all accounts that I've heard and, and film I've seen, he is a guy that's more accurate and puts the ball on players. And we talked about it earlier, Andrew. He's got, uh, he's got a lot of weapons some great targets some sure-handed guys really good tight ends i think his and a a good offensive line protecting him so he's going to have the opportunity and the time uh to complete a lot of passes And and i just i feel like he's going to be a guy um that's going to take that take that next step in terms of accuracy and be a little bit more consistent maybe in terms of accuracy than Nate Stanley was. All right, another prediction. Davion Nixon and not Chauncey Golston will lead the Hawkeyes in sacks and tackles for loss. Yeah, we talked about a little bit in the previous segment and I my 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 uh, my feeling is here and we saw it a little bit last year where uh, Iowa would flip AJ Epinesa inside and move uh, Davian Nixon outside to give teams a different look and free up AJ and Nixon has that ability to come off the edge too so I think with his athleticism on the inside and the extra attention that's going to be paid to Chauncey Golston because he's the only returning starter um, I think those the combination of those two things will uh, lead me to this fearless prediction <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the next one redshirt sophomore Tyler Linderbaum will be faced with a tough decision at the end of the season 
Yeah, and we touched on this in this yeah. previous segment too. I've seen him like as a top fifty overall recruit or top fifty overall draft prospect, regardless of position. And and make of those what you will. They're mock drafts, you know, before the season's even played, much less before they get to a point where they're doing you know a draft combine and pro days and things like that. But. He was nasty last year. He it, it, the only thing with him was consistency. He had some rough games. Um, you know, the Michigan game was a rough game. Comes out to mind. If he puts a, together a consistent season, I think he's going to have a decision to make at the end of the season. I'm not saying he's going to go, but I I think he's going to have a decision to make. Uh, we we did talk quite a bit about Iowa employing an eight man rotation on the offensive line in our depth chart segment, so we'll we'll move on from that. I think you hit that quite well. Uh, Jimon Colbert will lead the team in tackles. Yeah, and and this is um, the the one of the reasons that when it, he he really. And he did not look good in the Holiday Bowl. And he had off-season shoulder surgery. That shoulder really limited him mm. last year. I mean, he gutted it out. Um, but again, he's another guy now that's got a couple years of being a starter under his belt. And I just see a big jump for him this year. And I think uh, I think with the, with um, you know the linebacker position and the cash position and how they kind of they rotate guys through there. He's going to be on the field a whole lot, and uh, I see with him being healthy, a guy that takes that next step. I like this next one. After six straight losses in the series, the Hawkeyes will win at Penn State. Yeah, Penn State's lost a lot of talent in recent years. Still a really talented roster, uh, but Iowa's been closed the last few years, and I, I Iowa has that. Uh, it didn't happen last year, um, but Iowa has that knack for, for knocking somebody off it shouldn't knock off, uh, and I'm going to go with Penn State this year. Well, then on, on, the other, on the other side of things, Sorry. the other side of the coin, I will lose at Purdue. Yeah, I think Purdue is one of those teams that uh, is kind of flying under the radar this year, but really dangerous, particularly on offense with Rondell Moore uh, and David Bell at receiver, two NFL receivers, and they have more depth at that position too. If they get any type of defense this year, their offense is going to be really explosive. And just like Iowa usually plays Penn State close, Purdue has a tendency to play Iowa close, and it's a it's it's been a tough matchups matchup for Iowa's defense. Jeff Brom is just he's one of the better offensive minds in college football, and he has a way of attacking Iowa's defense and, and has a lot of success doing so. We talked a lot about Iowa's depth at wide receiver. You think Brandon Smith leads the team in receptions? Yeah, he was on on course to do that last year, and then missed three or four games, the majority of four games, and still ended up, I think, eleven receptions off the lead last year. And uh, big, sure-handed target. Um, I think teams are going to spend a lot of time trying to take Laporta away and, and taking the deep ball away from Amir Smith Marset. Um, and I think. Uh, Brandon Smith just looks like one of those guys that Peters is going to like as a first-year starting receiver. Really big, sure-handed receiver that he can throw the ball to and, and throw it up to a lot of times yeah. in 50-50 jump ball situations, and Brandon Smith is going to come down with it. Yeah, really kind of a quarterback's dream in Brandon Smith. Uh, Dane Belton will pace the Hawkeyes in interceptions. Love this kid. Um, the most... I think you can make the best the, the best comp for him is Amani Hooker. Reminds me a ton hmm. of Amani Hooker. Uh Amani Hooker obviously um 
you know, spent three years here and got better each season, took a huge jump from his fr- true freshman to true sophomore season. I see that t- same type of um, jump for Dane Belton. Uh, can play physically, but also can run with receivers, really long-limbed uh, defensive back. Um I think teams will probably stay away from Matt Hankins as much as possible and perhaps Riley Moss and, and Brent's on the other side. They may go to some of those underneath routes uh, and areas where Dane Belton is gonna, going to reside. Uh, and I think he's going to have some opportunities to, to, uh, to, to uh, maybe make that fearless prediction come true. And then finally, you know, as, as fans and as media members and people who follow the team and pontificators, we, we like narratives. And I feel like for a long time, the narrative was I was a great running team, but uh, over the past couple of seasons that just hasn't really been the case that at least not uh, numbers wise and and you have a prediction here Iowa will average at least 160 rushing yards per game yeah in perspective again Andrew uh, 137.6 last year ranked 97th among 130 FBS programs uh, third year in a row Iowa's been in the 90s mm. uh, ranking for rushing yards per game so yeah that's an area that I think is a key to this offense Iowa's got to be able to run the ball better Um, I think that the receivers and tight ends can help loosen up that box a little bit Um, but it's going to be the this is going to be the the ultimate um, what's the word I'm looking for Uh, setup example of can the zone blocking scheme still be effective for Iowa? It seems like teams have figured out how to uh, neutralize that in the running game. With the receivers they have now and the tight ends, they, that should loosen up defenses. If Iowa still struggles to, to run the football in that zone blocking scheme, Maybe time to vary that a little bit. Go more hat on hat. We're going to have to see. And maybe they maybe they they go that way anyway, Andrew. Maybe they go more on hat on hat this year. They see something. And heck, man, they've had a lot of time to, to analyze film this year in this offseason. They haven't been able to get on the field. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what type of self-analysis they've done. But yeah, the running game has to be more consistent for this offense to actually meet its potential. Rob, for the first time since March, you and I just spent an hour talking about sports, and it's awesome. It's awesome. (laughs) That That was fun. That is is therapeutic. I feel much better. I do, too. Thank you for doing it. Uh, Let us know what you got coming up here on, uh, on Hawkeye Nation this week. Yeah, I'm gonna have. Uh, I got a podcast coming up with uh, Jordan Oladukin. He's a, uh, a safety from uh, our cornerback from Tampa who had committed, and then uh, decommitted, and then recommitted to Iowa. Uh, interesting recruiting. He's kind of gone through this pandemic uh, recruiting during this pandemic, and it's. I, I'm interested to hear from him just kind of what the process was like for him. Um, and then probably just some more preseason football stuff. I, I will point people to. Um, uh, Anna Kaiser, who's a new member of Hawkeye Nation, uh, and I wanted to welcome her on the podcast as well. Um, and uh, it's a great addition. She was at the Daily Iowan yeah. last year. Really good writer. She wrote a, pl- a piece last week on uh, former Iowa State basketball standout Jake Sullivan and his son Justice Justice Sullivan, uh, who was a 2021 Iowa football recruit, and just kind of their relationship and the Iowa Iowa State angle. She did a really nice feature on that. Uh, and this week, um, she asked me for a story idea. So I've got her working on an, on an interesting uh, kind of historical piece on 
the performance of first-year quarterbacks under Kirk Ferentz, with Pen- Spencer Petras being a first-year starter. So she's going to go back through the the 21 years of Kyle McCann, Brad Banks, Nathan <laughs> cool. Chandler, Drew Tate, Jake Christensen, Ricky Stanzi, uh, James Vandenberg, Jake Rudock, C.J. Beathard, and <laughs> Nate Stanley. I think I hit them all. I think you're right. I think you're right. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. That That's great. And welcome to her. We're, we're excited to have her as part of the team as well. Uh, Rob, thank you as ever, man. This was a lot of fun. And uh, I'll be gone next Monday, but we will uh, we'll get together sometime early next week and uh, and talk some more. We'll, we'll probably have some more news to talk about and, and hopefully some more positive things to, to, to bring up. Sounds like a, that sounds like a plan, Andrew. Thanks, man. All right. Thank you for listening, and go Hawks. <laughs>